Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. If you have a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. We're going to read those in in, in a few minutes. Um, uh, We we started a series here in January just a few weeks ago. We're calling it Unshakable, and and what it is is we're, we're doing studies, various studies of themes throughout the book of Mark over the next few months. And so the the theme that we're currently studying this month is called Follow Me. And and this is about being a disciple of Jesus, being a follower of Jesus. So if you remember, uh, Omar Nieblas was uh, with us on January 8th when we kicked this series off. And and he talked about uh, to start the process of following Jesus, uh, it requires you to do two things. Repent and, anyone remember the other one? You guys were here, right? I was on vacation, but I'm just joking. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. If we, the kingdom of God is here, Jesus said, repent and believe. And and he talked about practically what that actually looks like in our lives. So repenting means, say Jesus is over there, I turn around. And believing is, is about action. It's not about what we think intellectually. What you believe is actually not what you think you, you say about facts. Belief is actually what you live out and do. And, and, and that's biblically what it is. And belief is I'm now moving towards Jesus. So I turn towards Jesus and I move towards Jesus. I repent and believe. That's the start of following Jesus. And then last week, we talked about uh, just kind of the nuts and bolts of being a disciple. Talked about that the word means a learner or an apprentice. And um, that really when, you're, when you are following Jesus as a disciple, we have three invitations to be with Jesus to become like Jesus and to do what Jesus did. And so we're going to continue talking about discipleship and, and being a disciple, uh, a disciple, a follower of Jesus today. And, and I want to talk about uh, who is qualified to be a disciple of Jesus. Who's qualified to be a disciple? Um, you may or may not have heard of a book. This is how I just want to frame it today. Uh, a book that was written in 2002 by Rosalind Wiseman. It's called Queen Bees and Wannabes. Anyone familiar with this book? No? Oh, good. Uh, so it, basically what it talked about was um, uh, cliques in high schools among girls essentially. Uh, it was very, very intense. It also uh, talked about uh, school bullying and the, and the effects that all has on students about apparently girls are really nasty to each other in middle school and high school. I got a lot of head nods. So you might not be familiar with that book, but you might be familiar with the movie that uh, in, was inspired from this book, the 2004 cult classic, Mean Girls. Oh, my clicker's not working. That was supposed to be like an epic moment. You're just going to have to click for me. I'm sorry, Rachel. What? <laughs> the enemy's trying to sabotage this amazing moment. Anyway, you've heard of Mean Girls, right? Well, so fetch. Is that in that movie? I'm not going to lie. I think I saw part of it once. Uh, it wasn't my cup of tea. 
Anyway, so for those who are not familiar with the 2004 movie Mean Girls, it is a cult classic, but Lindsay Lohan plays the character Katie Heron. And uh, her family has spent several years uh, living on the African continent. Her parents are both scientists. And so she's had a very unique life outside of kind of the, the typical suburban American childhood, right? But now they've moved back to the Chicago area. They're in the suburbs and she's attending a public school. And uh, she's very, very smart, very bright. She joins like a, a math team and, and she's doing all this science stuff and everything. And, and, and then as she's doing the thing you think you're supposed to do in school, which is learn, get an education, she comes to a sudden realization that that's not actually what high school is about. Apparently, it's about making sure you fit into the right group. And, and so she has, goes through this like rude awakening and this shock and, and, and suddenly throughout the movie you watch as her appearance change, her attitude changes, her, her attitude and disposition towards her education changes even, her attitude towards her parents, her family, everyone as she is uh, brought in and welcomed into the most popular clique in school, the plastics. How am I doing so far? All those mean girl fans. Great, great, great. Uh, so uh, throughout the movie, this is all happening, but it's not just Katie going through this transformation. You see all of these different students in high school trying to fit into all of these different groups. There's the typical groups. You've got the rebels. You've got the, the goths. You've got the popular kids. You've got the jocks. And everyone's trying to find out how can I qualify to fit into this group or that group. And, and so all of this happens, but basically, long story short, there's some kind of high school teenage drama that transpires, and she falls out with basically all of her friends, everyone that was cool, and she's on the outside. Her parents have uh, distrust her because of some things she did and everything like that, and the, the whole thing kind of blows up in her face. And she comes to rock bottom, and she kind of comes to her senses and realizes how foolish she was being, and she kind of becomes her normal self again. Well, uh, like any good uh, American pop movie like this, it ends on a happy note. She becomes the prom queen, but now Katie has learned a lesson. And as she's given the tiara to put on her head, she breaks it into pieces and starts handing it out to all of the girls in the school saying, well, there's a reason that you should be prom queen because of this, and you should be prom queen because of this. And in this this world where people were striving to fit into some very particular thing to qualify for a certain group. In a sense, she was saying in this moment, you know, we all qualify in our own way. And the thing about Mean Girls that's really interesting is it, it illustrates probably too well and, and too real sometimes uh, what I think we experience in the world in general. Maybe even now in the past three, four years than we've ever experienced before. Uh, you know, the world of trying to fit in and qualify to fit in a, into a certain group, that's not uh, limited to high school girls in chick flick movies, is it? Um, this is what happens all the time. We, we live in a, a world right now that will cancel people if they say the wrong thing, if they do the wrong thing, if they do not make uh, the right decisions about different things. They will be cut off 
uh, the, the, the conservative side of it wasn't canceling. They'd call it boycotting, right? How many times, if you grew up in church, you boycotted Disney at some point. That's a little bit of a joke. Uh, there was something they did that wasn't okay, and people started boycotting it. But, but you see what I'm saying? Everyone in the world said, well, we're done with you because you did this. We're done with you because you did this. How many times in your workplace are there people that get, like, marginalized because I'm like, oh, well, so-and-so, I don't know. They didn't put the paper back in the coffee or no one's talking to them for a month. <laughs> Whatever it might be. Oh, some, someone's like, that's too real. They didn't, they didn't do it. Uh, but you know, what happens too is the church acts this way, don't we? Oh, I got, I got too, too good of a response out of that one. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true though. Don't, don't we do this? Don't we go like, well, see, you did this. So, you know, you, you don't, you can't, we, we can't have you following Jesus. Or, you, you know, you really, you can't follow Jesus yet until, until this happens. There's, there's, you, you know what I'm talking about? You ever go into a church and you feel like, am I missing something? Is there some other thing that's not spoken that like, I, I need to be doing? And, and this happens in various ways in various churches. It depends on the church. It depends on the church, it depends on the perspective, and we could name a, a whole host of things. And my question for us this morning is, is this how Jesus invited us to be disciples? Did, did he think, you know, I need to make sure that they're, they're, they're really, really like, hard line on certain things and other things, or maybe that's not even the right way to put it. Uh, maybe the better way to say this, I, I need to really make sure that they're, they're kind of like watchdogs at the gate, the church, and they're, they're really checking, well, hold on, let me see your papers before you come in here. You know what I'm talking about? Or did Jesus suggest a different framework, a different way to discern Who's qualified? Hey, let's, let's take it out of the realm of disqualifying other people. Have you ever disqualified yourself from following Jesus? I don't know the Bible well enough. I can't pray like that person can pray. I'm not sure I'm dressed right to come to this church. I'm not sure that I agree with all of this theology. I'm not sure I like that decision or that decision. How often do we disqualify ourselves? I, I have too much junk and stuff in my past. It's better if I stay away. But this is not how Jesus called people to follow him. There was not some special code or things like that that determined who was in and who was out. He had a different way entirely of determining who qualified as his follower. And so today, I just want to read, if you have it open, Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. And let's look and see who is qualified to follow Jesus according to him. And Rachel, if you could just handle the slides. Thank you so much. I don't know why this isn't working here. Verse 13, it says this. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. 
along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Let's pray. Jesus, Jesus, we come before you humbly. And we ask this morning that you would lead us and teach us, instruct our hearts, call us to repent and believe perhaps in areas that we have not before. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is a really, really interesting guy in in this passage because Before, we've seen him at the Sea of Galilee. Remember last week, we talked about how he was walking the shores of the Sea of Galilee. He was in normal places. This is a normal place where people are doing life. There's business, there's commerce, people are fishing, people are washing uh, clothing items. They're, They're doing all kind of life by the water. You lived in the ancient world near sources of of water. So he's just kind of in the place where everyday kind of boring mundane life is happening and he's encountering people and people are encountering him. Well, now here he is back on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is, first off, he is making an invitation to follow him. And and this invitation that he's going to make to Levi is based on nothing else other than the fact that Jesus called him. Let's look at this. Jesus is in this ordinary place again, but this time, instead of calling the fishermen, the the people that attended synagogue probably regularly, here he is calling Levi, who it seems like he has some kind of prior relationship with, and he calls him. But, But here's the thing about Levi. He's a tax collector. Now, who, who were tax collectors? They were not uh, glorified IRS agents. Uh, this was something entirely different. Here's what I want you to imagine for a minute. Imagine uh, that, that we were, I'm trying to think what would be like the most offensive thing to say here. Uh, it's, it's helpful to get a picture of what they were experiencing. Uh, imagine that China suddenly was in control of the United States. And they were putting very, very, very heavy taxes on Americans, like 90%. That's, that's pretty much what was happening here. Say 90% of your income, 95% of your income. And in order to make sure that they squeezed every drop out of you, even the money you might be hiding under your mattress, they're going to get people from your local town, Americans, to be in charge of collecting the taxes. You might know them. You, you might have a long-standing history with them. They might have known your family for generations before the occupation. I, imagine what it would be like for that person to knock on your door. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's someone you see every day. They walk your dog by, you know, their dog by your house. They knock on your door. It's time. 
come on, pay up. I, I, I need another day. I, I just had to buy groceries. No, now. What would you think about tax collectors? And then now let's add the religious dimension that we don't really have in our culture. Uh, but for, for the Jews, it wasn't just a, a cultural or a national or an ethnic pride. There was the attachment of this was a violation of the land of Yahweh. This is a violation against not just them, but against God that they were an occupied people. They were supposed to be living and ruling themselves in the promised land and be a blessing to the nations, but instead they're being oppressed by the nations. And, and, and here they are, these Jewish men were agents of the Roman Empire there to collect your income to give to Herod, the local ruler, to give to uh, the governors, to give to Caesar to support the army that is there keeping you under thumb. What do you feel about tax collectors? So the people resented them. They had no place in, uh, in, in, within the synagogue community, the worshiping community. They were out. They, they had gone way too far. And the injustice, because many of them were very unjust, the injustice and the length they went to to get the money was just as sinister as the fact that they were doing it in the first place. So you, Jesus, what are you doing not only seeing a tax collector, but going into the tax collector's office to say, Levi, you see, they got prior relationship. He didn't just say, hi, my name's Jesus. What's your name? Come follow me. The, the, the assumption here is there's, there's prior relationship. He's been talking to this guy a lot. He's been hanging out with him. And now he goes in one day, he says, Levi, it's time. You need to follow me. And not only does Levi, okay, great. Maybe he's gonna give up his ways. He's gonna go kind of assimilate and, and be just like the other disciples. He's gonna be a good Jew again. What happens next? All of Jesus' disciples and Jesus now go hang out at Levi's house with even more tax collectors and sinners. We'll get to that part of the story in a minute. But, but here's what's amazing. Jesus went out of his way to go to a person who in, in Jewish terms, within the eyes of this community, they were the most unqualified person to follow a rabbi. And yet, the only thing that matters to Jesus is that he called you to follow him. And you said yes. That's it. Period. But what? No. Yeah, but he's got it. But I called him. Yeah, but you, you know what he's, I, he, I called him. But how are you going to like reconcile his past and when he's done with what he's going to do now? And like, we, he's got a lot of stuff he's got to change like immediately and like. I called him. I called him. I, I love this. Uh, Hans uh, Vader is a, uh, a scholar who said this. Uh, because this, this circle, this disciples, was founded exclusively through Jesus' call, no other social factors needed to surface. 
Indeed, this is what's crazy, antisocial factors in this circle could be overcome. Because we don't even have, uh, just have um, Levi, the tax collector. We also have the other extreme. We have Simon the zealot that's among these disciples. Do you know what zealots were? They, they, were, rebel, they were rebels. They were nationalist uh, fighters trying to overthrow Rome. And so uh, uh, he continues that, that these two groups, the tax collectors and, and the zealots, they would fight each other bitterly all the time. And yet here they are brought into this same space called followers of Jesus. It is evident, he continues, that Jesus called people into fellowship regardless of social, religious, and ethnic background or gender. You know, it is often said that Jesus does not call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. I, I think that is incredibly true. You see, it is not whether you or someone else has ticked the appropriate boxes. It is not whether uh, you have done certain things or haven't done certain things. Jesus' invitation to follow him isn't based on anything else other than his calling of you. Has he called you? You're qualified. Has he said, follow me? Did you say yes? That's it. Follow me. That's it. Yeah, but what about, did he say, follow me? I know, we could do this all day, but what about, but what about, but what, how many things are going off in your brain right now? Like, we gotta figure out this, we gotta figure out this. What are we gonna say when this situation comes up, when that situation comes up? Yeah, it's messy. Read the, read the Gospels with that lens. How many times were the disciples arguing and fighting with each other? James and John go and get their mom involved. Mom, can you talk to Jesus for us? We want to make sure that we're more important than the other guys. And mom's like, oh, I got you guys. Don't worry. It's a classic helicopter parent. Classic But listen, Jesus is called, you're, you being qualified as a follower isn't based on your, your past track record. Hear, hear me, this is not based on your past track record. It's not based on your family, whether your family knew Jesus, didn't know Jesus, whether your family's a hot mess or they act like they're perfect. It's not based on what church or denomination you are a part of. It doesn't matter if you're Protestant, doesn't matter if you're Catholic, doesn't matter if you're evangelical, doesn't matter if you're mainline. The question is, has he called you? to follow him. Doesn't matter whether you're poor, doesn't matter whether you're rich, it doesn't matter what level of biblical knowledge you have, it doesn't matter how good your prayer life is, has he called you? Just take a minute, self-examine. Has he called you? If the answer is yes, and you have said yes to him saying, follow me, There's no other qualifications. Now, I'll go back to what I said last week very briefly. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Dallas Willard. It does not mean that there is not stuff that needs to happen and move forward and change in our life. But you are not earning anything. This does not change your qualification. Do you hear me? You are fully qualified the moment he says, follow me. 
There are people in scriptures, I think I mentioned this last week, who say, Jesus, can I follow you? Can I be your disciple? If you know the Bible, you know the stories. He says to one, yes, you can. Go sell everything you own and come back. And he says, and the scripture says that he leaves very sad because he was very, very wealthy. And he couldn't part with it. When people try and generate the call on their own, it doesn't work out. Now, that doesn't mean, oh, no, did he actually call me? I'm not saying that. What, I, what I'm saying is, hear me, his call in and of itself sustains you to follow him. So Jesus' invitation to follow him is based solely on his call. The second thing I, I want to share is, is Jesus' invitation is for everyone who sees their need. So the, the qualification works in two ways. One, he's, he's called you. It's a done deal. But do you know who it says, the, the scripture says that he came for? It says that he came for the healthy or the sick? The sick. Yeah, he came for the sick. So the question that Jesus is implying here is, if you think you're healthy, I'm not here for you. If you know you're sick, come to me. I've got what you need. This, this is where humility comes in. This is all about humility. If you say, I'm fine, I got this, there's pride that needs to be worked through there. You don't need Jesus yet. Well, you need Jesus, but you don't need him. I got this. Do you know you're sick? He's not saying, well, some of you are fine. You don't need me, right? That's obviously not what he's saying. There were so many tax collectors, sinners, disreputable sinners that were at this dinner, and here he is hanging out with them. And in his eyes, he's like, these are the people, not just like, hey, they're far from God, but they know that they need me. You gotta understand that this label sinner is not something that the sinners were waving about like we're so proud to be sinners. This is a very different world than we live in today where kind of the open kind of uh, anti-Christian uh, sentiment is like a, a, a banner of, of a kind of pride uh, of like, yes, like we're sticking it to Jesus. We're sticking it to the church. I'm gonna talk more about that in a minute because that's a different version of a, another kind of self-righteousness, another kind of, of pride. But, but what Jesus is talking about here is a group of sinners who know that they need help. Are you with me? Okay, here's what the word sinner, sinners means. This is from E.P. Sanders. Uh, sinners, they, they're described in Scripture here in this context as they, they had a life which is not oriented around obedience to the will of God, but which is rather lived apart from him entirely. Here's basically what it is. People who are far from God. Do you know people who are far from God? Like you just see their life and you know they're far from God. And, and, and I'm not even talking about like they have a very un, immoral life, they're far from God. That's part of it. But like, man, they're just racked with fear, anxiety, they're bitter, all, all, all these different things. And, and you're just kind of like, they seem far from God. Or they're totally given over to, you know, I don't have time for, for God. I, I'm not going to church. Like, I don't need that, whatever. 
or they're far from God in the sense of like, I'm so lost, I don't know where to go. These people are far from God. And so here's Jesus seeing people far from God. And he's like, I'm going to have dinner with them. In fact, in, in both uh, Matthew and Luke's gospel, they both say that Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. You ever think of Jesus as the friend of sinners? Friend of the people who are actually far from him. Isn't that ironic? He was known as the friend of sinners. He was known as the friend of people who are far from him. Do you consider yourself a friend of sinners? Would you say, like, I have people who are like, man, you're a great friend to me, and they're far from God? Think about that. And I would challenge you, because I was very challenged. I was meditating on this, that, that passage uh, several months ago, and, and that phrase that he was, he was uh, in Matthew where he says he was a friend of sinners. And I was like, man, I don't know. If, can I say that about myself? Would, would other people say that about me? Would people say that about you? Are you a friend of sinners? I don't mean you just like hang out with them and tell them that they're going to hell. That's not a friend. That is the worst idea ever. Please don't do that. Do people go, man, they've got a lot of people in their life that are far from God. And they just, they love them. They're just with them. They're just being present to them and present to Jesus. It's amazing. That's a very challenging thing in and of itself. You might just like need to walk away with that and that's it this morning. But, but here's the thing is Jesus was the friend of these sinners because they were with him because they knew they needed him. They had no illusions about, hey, if I do this thing or that thing, God will like me. That's what the Pharisees were under the illusion of. See, the Pharisees are like the plastics in this story. They're, they're going, I'm not even going to try and do the hip thing. Uh, that'd be bad. Don't, don't. You bad. You guys are being bad. Stop. Uh, and, and, and so you hear me though. They're like, hey, no, they didn't do it right. They're out. They didn't do this right. They're out. He's hanging out. He's having dinner with sinners again. No, 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 don't go to the sinner's house. You'll be unclean. And they're sitting there. I just don't know where to go. I need help. I'm not well. And the Pharisees were very proud of how well they were. They were healthy. They were, the, the biblical word is they were righteous in their own eyes. They, they didn't need Jesus to help them. Righteousness is about right living before God and before others. It's not just about oh, me and God are good. It's also, are you good with other people? This is why in the Old Testament, the word righteousness and justice are like two sides of the same coin. You can't separate the one from the other. And, and so, are you living right before God, but also, are you living right with other people? This, this is righteousness, and if you have a gap anywhere in one of those two, you could say, I'm not well. And if anyone in this room is like, no, I'm good, we'll talk later. But you, you, you hear what I'm saying. Uh, here's what happens. When, when we become like the Pharisees or like the plastics or any other group, we create this clique, right? We say, okay, all the people that are righteous are in our little group here. Everyone out there, they didn't meet the standard. They didn't qualify. 
And this is what Jesus was dealing with in his day, and this is what we're dealing with in our world today. So there's this, this concept that um, Paul Hebert came up with uh, a long time ago. He was a sociologist, missionary, uh, and, and then also uh, some other people have adapted it at different times. Uh, but it's this idea called bounded set and centered set. And it was a way to think about uh, sociological groups of people, like how groups of people functioned in terms of who's in and who's out. And so if you look at this first one here, th this is an idea of, of how this works. See, the Pharisees, or if it's more fun to think of the plastics, you can think of them, they had rules for who was in and who was out. You with me? You see, we all have groups, whether it's church or our small group or life group or our families or our workplaces or in academia or political parties, whatever it is, we have rules for who's in and who's out. And we're like, yeah, but isn't that just how everything works? That's how the world works. Yes, absolutely. You see, and, and so if we can think about being in as being righteous, being well, and being out as being sick and unrighteous. And there's nothing you can do except perform and jump their hurdle to get into that in-group. Here's the problem with bounded set, though. The rules are not always spoken. There's unspoken rules, too. This is especially the problem with, with high school cliques. A lot of the rules are actually unspoken. It's not like everyone signs a contract and if you meet all these bullet points, you're in. And this is what happens even in, in our culture. So many of the rules are not clear. So many, I, I have a, a pet example of it. I don't think I'll get into it because of time today, but you can ask me about it later. But, but there's so many different things like this of like, well, who's in, who's out? And it's like a fuzzy line. You, you and your family of origin have these kinds of things too. Did you, you probably had spoken rules that you could not violate to stay in the good graces of the family. But you also probably had unspoken rules. You could probably think about it a little. What were the unspoken rules in your house that you couldn't violate? Like if someone said, oh, let's do this. You're like, oh, no, we can't do that. Why? Well, we just don't do that. You know you can't cross that line, but it's never actually been clarified as to what's going on there. You know what I'm talking about? This is how bounded set systems work. And in churches, we do the same thing. We say, well, these people are righteous, these people are not righteous. But we're not really clear on like what gets you in kind of the righteous circle, okay? So there's another way, and I believe this is the Jesus way, and this is what Paul Hebert suggested, is he suggested a different model to go by, and this is what Jesus is doing in this passage. It's, just, it's a, a way of thinking called centered set. And here's what centered set looks like. If we can go to that slide, please. Uh, the centered set looks like this. Remember week one where we talked about repent and believe? And we talked about repentance, Omar said, as turning to Jesus, and then belief is our movement towards him. This is where it literally comes into play. You could be really far away from Jesus. Say I'm like on this grid, but I'm way over here, right? I'm turned away from Jesus, but I repent and I believe. And I take one step closer to that cross that's representing Jesus in the middle. I'm still really far, but am I headed in the right direction? Now, there's people here in this picture you can see that are really close to Jesus, but they're going away from him now. 
You see, what matters is not whether you're hitting a certain set of rules, whether you're in, whether you're out. The question always is, are you turning towards Jesus and are you moving towards him? This is how you can do, don't get me wrong, this is crazy messy. You start introducing this into a community and everything just like, ah! It's a mess, why? Because we're people and we're messy. All our stuff starts coming out. You know, you start having people that are like, I wanna turn towards Jesus and move towards him. But, w- but what's gonna happen? Like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, pe- what's gonna happen when people come into the church that don't look like us, that don't talk like you, that don't do believe like you, that don't have similar political ideology as you? Listen, I- I'm not saying, here- here's what we say at the plant is everyone is welcome Everyone must change. That includes every pastor, every board member, every person who's here for their first Sunday. Everyone's welcome. But this is our vision and model, is we are all trying to make sure we remain oriented towards Jesus and moving towards him. So number one, has he called you? You've turned towards him and you're moving towards him. Amazing. The second is, Do you know you are unwell and you need him? Because when you remain in that humble posture, you can begin to orient yourself towards him and not away from him. I would rather have a hundred people in this church who have never spent a day in church in their life are a complete mess. Their lifestyles are the farthest thing away from orthodox Christianity. But every single one of them is turned towards Jesus and taking steps towards him. I would rather have that than a thousand people who are super close to that cross and are all turned away. Now, there's probably a lot more money if we have a thousand people with their backs all turned to Jesus. But I I mean that in all sincerity. So, so here's the thing. Listen, we all are going to have stuff that's got to get corrected, like challenged by Jesus. He's going to invite you to live differently, to change things. Like, he, like, don't get me wrong. Like, this isn't just like, just stay how you are. You said he called you. Everything's done now. Like, there's a journey. We're journeying towards Jesus. There's change and transformation in our life involved. involved. But what I'm not asking, can you go back to the bounded set? slide please what we're not asking and what we're not saying and what Jesus isn't saying in this passage is hey flip a switch and join the in crowd this is taking time and the only way you will be transformed is not by subscribing to our church's list of what's in and what's out the only way transformation happens go back to the centered set please the only way transformation happens is if we're facing towards Jesus and moving towards him. Every single decision in your life, every single moment in your life is a question of, will I remain oriented towards Jesus or away from Jesus? Not what's the right thing to do. Now Jesus has a wise answer for you of maybe what the right thing to do is, and you're gonna discern that with him and with community. 
But we don't go, oh, you're in this situation? Do this. You're in that situation? Do that. That's bound to set. And that's why, shameless plug again, emotionally healthy spirituality is so important. Sign up today. So here, here's where I wanna, I wanna land this because he, he, this is just, okay, great. This sounds like it's just gonna create a hot mess in our church, and it will. It's gonna require a tremendous amount of growing and maturity on our part because we're gonna have to start handling each other. I don't mean handling each other like, how do I, like, I, I just mean like, it's going to require that we have a tremendous amount of patience. We slow down with people. We don't expect them to, you don't have Romans memorized yet? Like, you forgot to pray again? You've been at it for six months. How, are you keep, how do you keep forgetting to pray? Just keep coming back to Jesus. Just keep coming back to Jesus. Just keep turning back to Jesus. Just keep turning back. Here, here's, here's where this goes. What happens when you have a, a this is very countercultural, is it not? It's very countercultural because it's saying that righteousness is found in Jesus. We are all sick and we need to orient ourselves towards Jesus. That's where righteousness is found. What our culture does is usually one of two things. One, as we've mentioned, religious moral righteousness. It's not ever necessarily Christianity per se, but some kind of pseudo Judeo Christian values in conservative America. That's one version of it. And, and there's a certain kind of, okay, you have to be against this and for this, and you have to act this way, and your life needs to be oriented this way. That's like a, a version of cultural righteousness that kind of exists in our, in our world right now. Fair? In America? You hear what I'm saying? There's a version of that, and, and, and depending on the group that you are trying to fit in with, that might be the temptation is like, oh, I gotta do that, I gotta, I gotta fit in there, like, oh, my theology's off here, like, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, right? And there's pressure to not be transformed, but to conform. This is Romans 12, one and two, don't be conformed any longer by the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is it. Are you going to be conformed to the patterns of the pressures of various social groups and, and, and philosophies on that side? Now, on the, what I'm going to call postmodern righteousness, more on the liberal side, there, there's a vision of self-righteousness that exists there, too, is there not? The, the idea, as I mentioned before, of, of cancel culture is, is a vision of some kind of uh, self-righteous superiority. And there's a lot of unspoken rules in how that works. I'm going to share the example because it's really good. Uh, I, I don't have a specific example, but there's, uh, in academia in particular, all sorts of uh, perhaps more conservative-leaning uh, speakers get canceled and axed from conference speaking schedules and all that kind of thing right now. Listen, I'm not really like a fear monger when it comes to this stuff. I'm not really worried about it. Jesus is on his throne. He's not nervous. That's how I feel. But it's, a, it's something to observe, right? So this is happening in our culture. Here's something that's interesting to me, and we can talk on all day about it. Uh, the left, in this sense, and, and I'll use this, I don't really care about your politics in the sense of you're welcome here. You guys hear me for a second? Can I just speak candidly? So, so one of the things in our culture is, is that Ruth Bader Ginsburg is, is kind of like idolized, right? I mean, I see RGB t-shirts all the time. Did you know that her Supreme Court uh, record when it, when it comes to uh, rulings on Native American reservations and stuff is not that different in some, in some decisions than her conservative counterparts? She doesn't get canceled. 
So here's my point in saying that. It's only this. Cancel culture is arbitrary. There's, no, there's unspoken rules about who gets canned and who doesn't. Just as there is in the more conservative world. There's unspoken rules about what you have to do. Oh, you didn't do that. Well, I didn't know. There's certain lines that are unspoken, but you don't cross. These happen across the board. The world, I don't want you to think of like left or right, which one's better, we need to be in the middle. Can the left, can the right, can the middle. Jesus is inviting us to live out of a totally different way of life. This is the good news of the resurrection. The resurrection is, is he's bringing a new world out in the midst of the old one. New creation. And in the new creation, you're not looking back into the old way of doing things to try and pull it in to your walk with Jesus. He's saying, I don't want you to live out of a do this, don't do that mentality. I want you to live in an orientation towards me. Are you with me? The gospel of Jesus Christ breaks down every bounded set and it invites you and it invites I to, me to reorder our lives around that simple invitation. Follow me. That's what qualifies you to follow Jesus. Are you sick? Or do you consider yourself righteous by whatever metric or standard or group you're trying to fit into? Are you sick? Or are you righteous? It doesn't matter what camp you're coming out of. If you recognize your need and you hear his call, you're qualified. Follow him. I hope you hear my heart this morning. This isn't against any particular group or any people. On the contrary, I believe that uh, some of these things are supernaturally spiritual, uh, supercharged by the powers of darkness to keep us in this this-against-them thing. And what the kingdom of God wants to do is to open our eyes to see that Jesus has come to break down all those old ways of relating. And he's saying, come, follow me. Come, follow me. The gospel is the most incredible news ever shared. It's, it's the most inclusive news ever shared because anyone can follow him. But it's also the most exclusive news ever shared because only those that recognize their need can follow. So here's my question. Have you heard his call? Have the worship team come up. We're gonna close and take communion as we reflect on this for just a moment. Have you heard his call? Has he said, follow me? I wanna ask you, have, have you disqualified yourself? Have you disqualified yourself because you thought there was some other standard involved? Or like, I'm just gonna kind of keep my head down. I, I like kind of being here, it's nice, but if anyone finds out what's going on in my life, don't disqualify yourself. Do you hear me this morning? As your pastor, like I really, this has been on my heart. Can I speak candidly for just a moment? Thank you, John. John always wants me to speak candidly. Some, sometimes I, and this is, um, Sometimes I, I feel concern 
because I don't want people to shy away from, from sharing what's happening in their life. I don't, want them, I don't want people to feel concerned that someone's coming, gonna come down on them. Do you hear me? I, I feel concern of, um, especially pastors, but any kind of leader in a church coming off as overbearing. It's just kind of a personal thing. Because what I don't want is for someone who's just dying inside to get shut down. Someone who's really sick in the, the spiritual sense that Jesus was talking about and they're, and they're like, I just need to get free. I just need to be well and I don't know where to go. So I, I don't know why I share that other than to know, I, I just want you to know my heart. And I want you to know the, the heart of our church, not just me. Every leader here, every group that we have as groups start this week. It's the uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality class starts next week. That these are spaces for you to say, yeah, I am unwell. I don't even understand totally why I'm unwell. Can you help me? I've heard his call. I want to follow. What's next? It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.